Hello. Welcome to the myths and history of Greece and Rome. Chapter 66. From Hero to Nero. When many people compile their lists of the worst emperors of Rome, Nero usually makes the top five. He didn't ruin the empire quite as badly as Commodus, he wasn't quite as crazy as Caligula, and he wasn't quite as cruel as Caracalla, but Nero was a tremendously bad ruler. The fifth emperor of Rome, Nero came to the throne when he was 16 years old. These days, most 16-year-olds are still at school and not even permitted to see certain films or drive cars. Letting a teenager loose on the empire was just a bit silly. The only thing that Nero learned very quickly was the same thing that his uncle Caligula had learned, that he could do exactly what he liked, when he liked. Nero was a true Julian, directly descended from Augustus himself. Unfortunately, he didn't have the great emperor's personality. He was married to the previous emperor's daughter, Claudia Octavia, but he didn't really like her and kept looking around for somebody else. This didn't sit well with his mother, Agrippina. She had worked too hard for Nero to let the boy throw it all away by dishonouring Claudius's daughter. She made it her business to persuade her son to stick with Octavia. Meanwhile, she ruled the empire herself, effectively as regent for her son. She was allowed to attend Senate meetings, something that had not been known since the days of Livia. She had to sit behind a curtain, though. Despite being the most powerful person in the empire, she was still a woman, and women were still second-class citizens in Rome. Nero, though, was far too headstrong to do what Mummy said, and he arranged for Pallas, her supporter, to be removed from the palace. Agrippina reacted badly and told Nero that she had made him who he was and that he was terribly ungrateful. She told her son she planned to support Britannicus instead. She had underestimated Nero. He made up his mind that poor Britannicus had to go. After one unsuccessful attempt, Claudius's son was poisoned at a dinner party. Agrippina was one of the dinner guests and cannot have failed to take the point. It is said that Britannicus's friend Titus, son of the general Vespasian, was also present at the gathering. At first, despite his tendencies, Nero's reign was not too bad. He was advised by some good and capable men. Even after Britannicus had been killed and Pallas dismissed, Nero was influenced by men who acted in the best interests of Rome. The Praetorian prefect Burrus and the equestrian philosopher and statesman Seneca stopped him doing some of the really bad and mad things he may have wanted to do. So despite the tendencies of the new emperor, the empire was run reasonably well for a few years. Nero himself was very keen to be popular, especially with the common people, and he held many gladiatorial games. Early in his reign, the people, the common people of Rome, loved him. Nero finally tired of his mother in 59, and according to the historian Tacitus, invented an elaborate way of having her killed while making it seem like an accident. He had a self-sinking boat designed, which would descend to the bottom while Agrippina was on it. This clearly balmy plan failed, and the Augusta survived. When he heard, Nero either had her assassinated or forced her to commit suicide. Either way, she was dead and out of his way. Pretty soon, Nero also tired of his wife Octavia, and soon had her killed too. He announced he wanted to marry a beautiful Roman woman called Papaya Sabina, but there was one big problem. Papaya was already married to one of Nero's best friends, a man called Marcus Salvius Otho. Remember his name, as it will be important in the next chapter. Nero forced Otho to divorce Papaya, and then appointed him governor of Lusitania, 
many hundreds of miles from Rome so that he couldn't cause any trouble. At the same time, a man called Servius Sulpicius Galba was governor of the nearby province of Hispania Tarraconensis. Remember his name too. In 62, Burrus died and Seneca was forced out. The two men who had had some success controlling the young man were gone and the reign declined badly. While they were alive, Nero had expressed the desire to allow the Senate and consuls to rule as they had done in times gone by. He had worked hard at his judicial duties. He even expressed a distaste for capital punishment, something which became rather ironic later in his reign. Once Burrus and Seneca were gone, Nero's inherent tendency for excess came to the fore. He stopped ruling and started partying and entertaining himself, and allowing his inherent paranoia to rise to the surface. The senators and other wealthy people began to feel the negative side of Nero's personality. They came to hate him for two main reasons. First, he kept having senators executed, and second, all he really wanted to do was play music and dance, not rule. In Rome, only poor people were entertainers. It was unthinkable that the emperor could want to play an instrument, but Nero loved to play the lyre. The senators laughed at him, but secretly hated him for it. Nero forced the senators to listen to him playing his favourite music, and he would punish those who didn't pay attention. The great general Vespasian was sacked for falling asleep during one of Nero's performances. Worse though, crazy old Nero desperately wanted to be a gladiator, and only slaves were gladiators. Despite being the most powerful empire in the region, Rome had many enemies, and when they saw a young, not particularly good emperor on the throne, they decided to attack. There was a conflict in the east with the Parthian Empire, which was only just resolved by a hard-working general, Gnaeus Domitius Corbulo. By 67, though, Corbulo had become too powerful for Nero's liking. As governor of Syria, he had control of a large army and could have been a threat. Despite there being no inkling that Corbulo was actually planning anything, he was forced to commit suicide. This wasn't the only threat to Rome from outside its borders. In Britain, a serious revolt was underway. A tribe located in the east of Britannia, called the Iceni, had previously been friendly towards the Romans. Unfortunately, the king of the Iceni had recently died, and left the tribe and its possessions to his wife, Queen Boudicca. The Romans didn't think that any tribe should be led by a woman. As we know, the Romans were not keen on women in power, and so they had her flogged. The governor of the province, Paulinus, was away in Wales. Queen Boudicca, unsurprisingly unhappy about the flogging, declared war on Rome. Queen Boudicca managed to persuade other tribes to join her, and they took the Roman capital, Camelodunum, now called Colchester. Londinium was also taken, Verulamium was burned, and a whole legion was massacred. Paulinus returned, and pretty soon 10,000 Roman troops had taken a strong defensive position along a road called Watling Street. Boudicca and her wild rabble of 200,000 troops screamed and shouted as they charged at the Roman forces. They must have been a quite alarming sight as they set upon the Romans, but Paulinus knew what he was doing. The battle raged on and on in the wet British weather. It was utter chaos and very bloody. After a short time, 80,000 British people were killed. The Romans lost just 400. The battlefield was blood-red and littered with the corpses of dead rebels. The rest of the defeated Britons fled into the countryside. The Romans were victorious. Nero had considered abandoning the island, but his armies had won a great victory. 
The Romans were very pleased and Nero was triumphant. Sadly for the empire, it just went to his head. The emperor, freed of anyone who could curb his excesses, took to doing whatever he wanted to do, whenever he wanted to do it, and the Roman world was in for some bad times. The first bad time, though, was not really Nero's fault. In 64, a great fire ravaged the city of Rome. Flames rose high into the Roman night sky, and the people ran from their homes and fled. Fanned by the summer winds, the inferno spread quickly through the eternal city's wooden buildings. The fire burned for five and a half days. Nearly a quarter of the great city was destroyed, and over half of it was badly damaged. The victims wanted to know why the fire had happened and how it had happened. Nero had always dreamed of building a new, magnificent palace in the centre of Rome, and rumours began to circulate that Nero himself was responsible for the fire, so that he could clear the buildings and begin his construction. The people chattered that he had played his lyre and smiled while the great city burned. Some even said the fire was just a grand setting for one of his performances. It's very unlikely that these stories are true, but they show just how much he was hated. Sources differ. Some say he did much to aid the people of Rome in their rebuilding programmes. Some say he just concentrated on himself. Whatever the truth of this, though, Nero really did start to build a magnificent palace. It was called the Domus Aurea. So, Nero needed some people to blame for the destruction. He realised the people hated the Christians even more than they hated him, so he blamed them for starting the fire. This began the first persecution of the followers of this new religion, and many Christians were tortured, killed and exiled. Nero would have them crucified, covered in oil and burned alive to provide some light for his night parties. It's said that both St Peter and St Paul were put to death by Nero's officers at this time. Peter was crucified upside down on the Vatican Hill, and Paul was beheaded along the Via Ostientis. This was by no means the last persecution of the Christians. Rome would have a difficult relationship with the new religion for the next 300 years. More Christians would be hassled, tortured and executed under later emperors such as Domitian, Decius, Valerian and Diocletian before Christianity finally became accepted and then supported by the Romans. Late in Nero's reign there was a massive revolt in the province of Judea which Nero sent the general Vespasian to put down. This he did with the help of his son Titus, the friend of Britannicus. In 65, a major plot was conceived to remove Nero from his throne. A senator, called Gaius Calpurnius Piso, planned to have the Praetorian Guard declare him emperor and then have Nero executed. The plot was discovered and Nero ordered Piso and the other conspirators to commit suicide. Many others were implicated, including Seneca. He, along with most of the others, was executed. The new Praetorian prefect, a cynical sneak named Tigellinus, set up a rudimentary secret service to watch people and look out for other examples of treason. Although there were many plots against Nero, only the one led by Piso really came to anything. Still, the emperor had many more senators executed. In the same year as the Piso plot, Nero's much-loved wife Poppaea died. After this, the emperor had no more reason to be anything other than a really mad, mad man amusing himself in any way he wished. If things had been bad before, now they were worse. When he competed in the Olympic Games in 67, Nero won everything he entered. This sounds impressive, but it obviously wasn't. Everyone was scared of him, so they let him win. 
Nero liked this so much he completely neglected all of his duties and spent most of his time at the games. Soon, even this wasn't enough. Nero, like Caligula before him, proclaimed himself a living god and went on a tour of Greece entering artistic and literary competitions. Of course, as at the games in 67, he won all the prizes. It seems strange to us now that the excesses of a terrible ruler didn't really have a negative effect on the empire as a whole. Augustus, during his long reign, had set up the imperial administration. Tiberius and Claudius had both refined and improved it. The fact that a huge empire, where communication was slow and limited, could be ruled from a city on the Italian peninsula was remarkable in itself. The fact it could be done without a competent leader at the helm was almost astounding. The system of provincial governors running the provinces was held in place by many factors. What kept many of the people in the provinces quiet was the thought of being able to better themselves within the Roman system. Under Augustus, it became possible for men from more lowly backgrounds to rise up and become senators. Claudius extended Roman citizenship to whole groups of people and then they became eligible for high office. Being inside the Roman Empire was better than being outside it. The chances for advancement and personal success were much greater if you became part of the system. The machinery of government was in place, the chance of advancement existed for many and the temptation to revolt against Rome was low. But that didn't mean you had to like or accept the excesses of the emperor. It was clear that Nero's reign couldn't be allowed to last. Life was fine for the citizens of the empire outside Rome, but life was not fine for the senate. Nero was only 30 and could easily live for another 40 years. The ruling class in Rome would probably not survive another 40 years of Nero. Something had to be done. In March 68, a provincial governor called Vindex started a revolt, but he was quickly defeated and executed. Nero ordered Virginius, governor in Germany, to defeat the rebellion. When he succeeded, his troops declared him emperor, but Virginius sensibly refused. Tellingly, though, he declared his allegiance to the Senate, not to Nero. In Spain, Servius Galba had lent his support to Vindex. Nero declared Galba an enemy of the state, and so Galba decided he might as well begin a full rebellion and make a bid for the throne himself. He was supported by nearly everyone. Nero was running out of friends. He was taunted by the Praetorians with the phrase, Is it so bad to die? He searched his palace and found that his friends, slaves and helpers had nearly all fled. Nero slipped out of the palace and went to the house of a friend. Meanwhile, the Senate declared him an enemy of the state. Nero tried to get some of his few remaining friends and slaves to kill him, but they wouldn't. When he realised he was all alone and all was hopeless, Nero declared, What an artist the world is losing! And then, as if he was starring in one of his theatre performances, he stabbed himself in the throat. He died on the 9th of June, 68 AD, aged 30. His turbulent reign had lasted 14 years. The Julio-Claudians, 117 years after Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon, were no more. What could possibly happen now? Next week, we'll find out what happened, as we look at that turbulent year known as the Year of the Four Emperors. Until then, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time.